Christ in Relationships is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his fifth message, Authorizing Us. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, and it reads as follows. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And now, let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his fifth message entitled, Authorizing Us, as he continues in his series, Christ in Relationships. Well, if you have your scriptures with you, if you would turn to the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, I will tell you something this morning that Satan does not want you to realize. And I say that, not kiddingly, very, very seriously. And I carry around within me the battle that uh, would interrupt and interfere with this message getting to you. Let me rehearse for you where we are. We are talking all this year about relationships, and we are talking about this kind of relationship that Christ builds specifically for His kingdom. We're talking about how Christ forms relationships, not how people form relationships. And we are noting in the days between Jesus' Palm Sunday ride and the days of the establishment of the church, the different ingredients He gave to people for their lives that would affect the kind of relationships that they would establish. And so today, we come to another passage where after the resurrection, there is a group of disciples who are gathered in a locked room for fear of the Jews. Now, these are not just the 11 apostles. As a matter of fact, not all the apostles are there. We, are there. we know Thomas isn't there. These are just gathered disciples who don't know exactly what God has in store for them in the future. Not unlike ourselves. Starting with verse 19, it says this, When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, this is the resurrection day, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. I want you to note the miraculous appearance here. The passage um, in, implies that the doors weren't opened before Jesus came in. That he just was suddenly there standing among them. So naturally they would have thought this is an apparition. It's not really Jesus, it's a ghost. And Jesus reads their minds and does what is appropriate to show them his resurrection body. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. Remember how the spear went in his side when he was on the cross. He showed them both his hands and his side. 
The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now they recognize Him for the first time. So look what He does. He starts all over again with His greeting. And Jesus therefore said to them, again, peace be with you. Then He looks at them and He says something very peculiar and very powerful. As the Father has sent me. Now remember, this is to an amorphous group of disciples. This is not just to the apostles. As the Father has sent me, so also I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you remember many of the prophets of old not just told prophecies, they demonstrated prophecies. When they had a prophecy, they would act out the prophecy. And so I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. In no other part of the New Testament is this Greek word for breathe mentioned. It's only mentioned in the Septuagint in a couple of places in the Old Testament. And one of those places is in Genesis 2-7, where God takes that bit of dirt and forms a man and breathes into the man the breath, the ruach, the spirit of life. And the Bible says, and man became a living soul. Now, I cannot tell you or communicate to you, only the Spirit can do that, the difference between that lump of clay and that man. Because there's no way scripturally to make that jump. I don't care how much you believe in evolution, and I don't care how, you, how many of you have different theories about the creation, when you believe in scripture, you cannot make the jump from chemicals to man. This is not about pre-existent qualities within the dirt. You may somehow trace the forming of a physical body, but when it says in Genesis 2-7, he breathed the breath of life and man became a living soul, that's an entirely different world. And I want you to see this picture, that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his disciples would live in an entirely different world. There's no way you can make the jump from before Jesus was resurrected to after Jesus was resurrected without the breath of the Holy Spirit, without realizing this is something totally different. And then the Bible says, he said something very curious indeed. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. Uh, in other words, in, in, the, in the original Greek and a couple of the manuscripts, it says literally, their sins have previously been forgiven them. I want you to picture now the pronouncement of what has already been arranged in heaven that comes into actuality on the earth because someone has said it. It's not that these people have the ability to create reality, but they do have the ability to translate reality into this world. The reality that's already been arranged in heaven. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been, have been previously forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, I'm not going to go into the full meaning of that scripture, but I do want to tell you a little bit, just give you the general feel, because I'll, I'll be preaching on this for a long time to come what it means to live a life by the Spirit instead of simply living a life 
where you know you're saved. Because I believe that most Christians, when they accept Jesus' payment for their sins, understand that that means that they get to live in heaven. And I believe that most Christians, in that instance, understand the essence of the faith. But that does not mean they understand the power of the faith. It does not mean they understand what it is to live in the Spirit and to walk in the victory of the Spirit. And I want to say to you, in this scripture, it says repeatedly how different life is in the Spirit than in the flesh. And I want to say to you how many Christians I see who have the Spirit but keep walking in the flesh and never know the difference. They think their entire job is to get saved and to wait it out until they can go to heaven. They think all that there is left on earth is to not sin as much as possible until the Lord comes again or they finally die. What a draining, frustrating view of what the Lord has for us. Let me take you back through a few scriptures to, to just jog in your memory that which Satan does not want you to remember. It says in John 3, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It says you can't get there from here. You can't get to the spirit from the flesh. It has to be something totally new. It doesn't talk about halfway life. It doesn't talk about, well, I'm kind of flesh, kind of spirit. It, it, it says, when you're born again, you're born again. You don't get a little bit pregnant. You don't get a little bit born. You either are or you're not. It says in the Word, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, the old has passed away. The new has come. That's not a little bit of change. That's not self-improvement. That's not even godly improvement. That's a whole new life. It says in Revelation 21.5, Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. I don't give you just a new heart. I change the world. You say, well, I know some people talk like that, but that's just never been my experience. It's not your experience because it's not your understanding. Look with me, if you have your scriptures with you, in Romans 8, and read it for yourself. I will start reading here from verse 8. Now remember, he is writing to Christians, to varied Christians. And he says this, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Who's he talking to here? Is he talking just to the people who have had this wonderful emotional experience with Christ? Is he talking with just the charismatics of the day? Who have had this, who have this, this, uh, special knowledge or, or have this special gift or have this, spe whatever? Now, this is written to Christians, all Christians. He says, you are not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. See, you're not a little bit Christian. You don't have a little bit of the Spirit. The Spirit is either resident or he's not. 
You've either accepted Christ or you haven't. There's something in your life or it's not. Now look where he argues from there. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, that is the strength of the body, though that body can't really do anything, look at what it says. Yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Because He is righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the, dwell, from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You know what that means? That means you don't have to walk around just trying not to sin anymore and living the best life you can. It means you don't have to be imprisoned in the frailties of your physical life. It means that the flesh and the spirit are not divided. You see, Satan divides the flesh and the spirit. It means the incarnation brings back to unity the spirit and the flesh that you can walk in your physical life in the power of God. You don't have to go off in some mystical experience. You don't have to advertise the miraculous. You don't have to focus on demons, although sometimes it's not a bad idea to recognize their activity. What you need to do is understand the capacity that's in you. And let me tell you the capacity that's in you. The capacity that's in you is to speak into this world those things that have been arranged in heaven. The capacity is to bring heaven on earth. When we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who do you think is the vessel to make that happen? You are. You're the ones. And people don't understand that. Christians just walk around saying, well, I'm not capable. And God is saying, exactly. Now you've got the picture. That's how you got into the kingdom in the first place. Understanding that you weren't capable. Now you need to understand, you're not capable, but I am. Now you need to understand the great life of the Spirit that is living in your heart. That's what you need to understand. You know... Before we become Christians, we think just regular flesh stuff, because that's the only life we know. And after we become Christians, the gray matter does not automatically get converted. It still thinks in terms of the flesh. And so we have this religion that's kind of a false bravado that says, Oh, I'm not afraid of anything, you know? I, I like uh, Irma Bombeck sometimes. I, I love the way she writes. And... and uh, once she was asked what she wanted put on her gravestone. And, and in kind of a false bravado in the, in the face of death, uh, she said, this is what I want printed on my gravestone. Big deal. I'm used to dust. <laughs> but that's the problem. We're used to dust. And that's how we think. I'm just dust. But when the Spirit of God lives in you, something happens to the dust. Something different happens. And you've got to understand. If it takes a hundred years, I'm going to keep telling you this. You've got to understand there's more than dust there. There's the Spirit of God that lives in you that waits to bring on earth what is in heaven. 
I prayed with somebody last week. I was I was in a hall at, uh, and somebody came and they looked burdened and they say I need to talk. So we went and we prayed. I said, "What's the deal?" And there was this problem she had. I mean, it was just really a catastrophe. She said, "Would you pray with me?" I said, "Boy, you bet. Let's go." And so we just went to the throne and we said, "God." You know, I know this woman loves you. I know she's yours. And I know whatever you want to do with this problem, you will do for her good. So we we know that you're God and we're not. But here's what we'd like to see happen. Because see, you understand, you can ask God anything. He have to, he's in charge. But you can ask Him anything. It doesn't irritate Him. It doesn't irritate, him, doesn't irritate you when your kids say, Hey, can I have a, uh, you know, a Boeing 757? You know, doesn't irritate you. No, you can't, can't afford, but but it doesn't irritate you. Your kids are coming to the right source, right? Well, let's work this thing out. How about a bicycle with training wheels? You know. <laughs> so it doesn't irritate them. So so we just ask. We just just ask. Ask for this. We ask for the the most immediate radical solution to the problem that we could possibly think of. Well, we got done, and she got up to leave, and I said, "Well, let me know what what he does." Okay, I will, she says. I came into my office three days later. And here's a note on my desk. Written in red ink. But the note's not on paper. I think that she came into my office and was kind of afraid to use any of my stuff. And so what she did was she went to the restroom and got, not toilet paper, that would have been, but she got a, a paper towel out of the deal, see? Came back, wrote a note about how God had answered that prayer. And I tell you what, it was one. Of my, it was just a glorious testimony. I mean, he answered more and better and higher than we prayed for, and we thought we were praying first rate. So here she's writing this thing out on his paper towel. I'm reading this paper towel, you know, and I'm looking in the folds, and you know, and I thought to myself, what a metaphor for Christians. Here's something that was made just to wad up, to use, wad up, and throw away. You know, it's just an old paper towel. But here, written on this paper towel, is a living testimony of the activity of God. When I look at us, you know what I see? A bunch of old paper towels. You know? We weren't made for anything special. We were made just regular lives. But I tell you what, there are some paper towels that can be wadded up and thrown away, and there's some that are going to walk around with a testimony of God on them. And that's what you've been chosen for. You've been chosen to bear what God does. And so when Jesus comes to them, and says, as the Father has sent me, so also I send you. You become not more than a paper towel, but you become different than a paper towel with no message. You are used now and are intended to be used as a testimony of God. What does that mean for me? That means, number one, you don't have to be ashamed of being flesh anymore because God can use flesh even the weakness of the flesh, even, watch this, even being made stronger through the weakness of the flesh. It doesn't mean that he can just use your strong points. It means he can use your weak points. And what that means is you can, from now on, you can operate with absolute confidence. You can operate as to what you are speaking and praying into the world. It means you have a vessel in your understanding that you can speak forth. That is absolutely the strongest ministry there is. That's why God 
That's why the folks who are sitting in these wheelchairs right here can have as strong a ministry as any of us. Because they have the same vessel to speak forth what God wants in this world. And when God has prearranged that, that's when it comes into actuality, when they begin to pray it. So you have that same thing. Now, if God gives you some other ministries along the way, great. That's fantastic. What you, what you need to do is say, God, my confidence is now in you instead of what I could do. My confidence... I went to, uh, last weekend to uh, Glen Erie um, to meet with uh, 20-some other senior pastors from all across the nation. Uh, every denomination you can think of. Um, and uh, I went to see if anybody was doing what we want to do here. The decentralization of the ministry, the formation not just of small groups, but of congregations that still stay connected into one church and so on and so forth. And nobody is. Everybody's going the other direction. They're trying to build up the central church. And so that was all right. I just wanted to see if it was happening. And I'll keep trying to track down other models. That was all right. God evidently had me out there for another reason. And one of the reasons was to take stock of some of the other senior pastors from around this country. It was just it wasn't a work, it wasn't a teaching thing. It was a, just a networking thing. So we swapped ideas for two and a half, three days, and it was marvelous to hear these guys and what God was doing in their life. And of course, when you get with a group of people like that, you say, you know, what is the one common denominator here? You know what the one common denominator was? Every one of those people said. I have no idea, no grasp on what God is doing through my ministry. It's way beyond me. Every one of those guys was saying that. And it was fun to hear. And we heard stories of what God was doing all the way from in spiritual warfare stories from a Southern Baptist, no less. Here's, here's, old, here's old Southern Baptist. Now, you, for those of you who have been in Southern Baptist Church, you know these guys have an accent anyhow. I think when you go to Southern Baptist Seminary, they kind of train you to to talk Southern. And so this guy talked Southern, but he was a Southern Baptist in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I could hardly understand this guy. I'm an old Midwestern boy. I could hardly understand what he was saying. But he was talking about the spiritual warfare. He says, us Southern Baptists don't even do spiritual warfare. But he said, after I caught on to what was going on, this is what we did. And he started telling stories that makes hair stand, on, stand up on the back of your neck because that's what it did to me. And it was all the way from that kind of spectacular stuff to another brother who had watched his son slowly die from AIDS, going through that horrible, painful process. And everyone in between, and you know what all of the common theme was? But God worked miracles in it all. I kept letting him have his way, and he kept giving us more than we could expect. God did that. God did that. Now, it's important to understand the character of the Holy Spirit if you're going to let God have control of your life and start expecting Him to establish things through your life that are eternal instead of just temporal, instead of just temporary. And the first thing, the one thing I want to teach you today is that when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on these people, He not only said this is a whole new ball game. You're going to operate in God's victory and instead of your weakness. But he said, I want you to know that whatever you do, no matter how you feel about what you do, I've accomplished something through it. Whether you see it or not, I've accomplished something through it. Let me describe to you the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Para, uh, Greek, uh, the Ho- Greek for the Holy Spirit is the word paraclete. And paraclete 
is an old military term. Now, let me give you a couple of images. The paraclete in the Greek army was someone who went out to assist the soldier. And when the soldier was so weary from the battle that he couldn't even lift his arms anymore, the paraclete was the one who would come along and with his strength lift the arm and strengthen the warrior for battle. But also, there's another image. In the the ancient Greek armies, they used to go out in pairs to fight. Now, there would be a whole bunch of them, but they would be paired up. And when they got in the thick of the battle, they would fight back to back so that the one who was going at it didn't have to worry about his weak spot because his partner was fighting from his weak spot. He was not only defending his weak spot, he was fighting, making progress from his weak spot. That's what the Holy Spirit does to you. When you say, oh man, I didn't do anything. Nothing got done. That's what you think. If you are doing something in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is doing something whether or not you notice it. You've got to believe in that. You've got to understand it. Do you know every week when I go from this place, I get attacked from the adversary. He says to me, they didn't get it. They didn't. Nothing got, nothing got taught today. You should have studied harder. You should have prayed harder. You should have, you should have come up with something absolutely spectacular. That was very average. <laughs> and I just look at him sometimes and say out loud, you're a liar. You're a liar. I don't care how average I was. God was there. He did what he needed to do. Last week when I got back from California, or from, uh, uh Colorado, uh, somebody asked me to teach the fourth and fifth grade class. Now, I don't usually have a chance to do that because I'm preaching to it, but I thought, well, okay, you know, and by the way, when people ask you to teach something, don't say, that's not my strength. We know that. We've already established that. That's fine. <laughs> there are some things you do just because you're part of the family, all right? That's just, it's just family business. You don't walk down this, the hall, hopefully, and see a piece of trash and say, oh, that's not my job. The custodian will do that. You pick it up. Just, just, just a family thing. So, you don't have to sign up for years of teaching, but when somebody asks you to teach, that's what you do. And so somebody asked me to teach, so that's what I did. Didn't get to go to worship that week, but that's all right, because I, I needed to do some family responsibility stuff. So I walk in this room, fourth and fifth graders, sit in one of these little chairs, which is just right for me. <laughs> and the teacher said, these kids got all of these questions, you know, that they've been asking, theological questions. And, and I don't have the precise answers. I'd like you to come in and answer all these questions. I said, I'd be glad to. So I go in and sit down, and the teacher says, okay, kids, ask him the questions. Well, you know what happened. They just sat there like this. I said, well, you know, go ahead, anybody, you know. And then they just got up and started dancing. This, and started telling me about... Dino the dinosaur, whatever, Barney, the, whatever, in the, in the, well, I'm too old to watch that, but this is what he does and this is what he sings. And another kid's telling me about guns and roses he listens to. I said, it's trash. It's trash. He said, oh, it doesn't affect me any, you know. So anyhow, I'm, I'm trying to establish, I'm trying to establish some point of contact. I spent an hour that seemed like a week and a half in this class. I'm going, I'm trying to teach the work scripture in, you know. Walked out of there, absolutely. Stumbling. 
I'm going to thank that guy every time I see him for walking in that class. I mean, what a... But I, you know, I'm walking down the hall and I'm saying, what in the world good did that do? And the answer is, I don't know, but it did some good. God accomplished something because I was doing what I was supposed to do. You've got to understand, God doesn't need your understanding to establish His kingdom. He just needs your cooperation. Just wants your cooperation. And yes, it's wonderful to operate in your gifted area. If you have an area that you're especially fruitful in, absolutely operate it. If you've been pre-wired, and all of us have, according to Ephesians 2.10, that God has given us to good works that we should walk in them, good works established beforehand that we should walk in them, absolutely find out your spiritual gifts. Find out what you're very good at. You know, that's, that's fantastic. You know, one of the, one of the things that happens to somebody who just operates in their spiritual gifts is that they just, they, it's very evident that what happens is not according to their strength. Now, let me give you an example of this. I, I'm going to offend some of you by even saying this, but I'm going to say it anyhow. I watched Billy Graham, um, well, I didn't watch it, but I heard Billy Graham uh, do President Nixon's funeral this week. Now, Billy Graham was vintage Billy Graham. Every time that man stands up, he just invites people to Christ. Somehow, he works it in. Even when he's not supposed to, he works it in. Why? Because he, from for years, had been called to the ministry of evangelism. And he has understood that. Now, here comes the offensive part. I've listened to Billy Graham. Billy Graham is an average preacher. I mean, any second-year student in a seminary can outline what he's doing and could probably get up and imitate almost word for word what Billy Graham would say in any given sermon. But when Billy Graham gets done, standing in a football stadium, he goes... Well, okay, I talked about Jesus for a little bit. Anybody who wants to accept Christ out there, come on down. <laughs> Thousands of people come down and say, What just happened here? The guy gives an average sermon. People are climbing over each other to get to the Lord. What just happened? God just happened. God just happened. That's not Billy Graham. Billy Graham is a good brother, and I just bless him. I tell you what, he is one of the, I mean, one of the finest examples of what God can do if you'll just let Him have your life of anybody. But millions have come to Christ from a man who has a mediocre ability in preaching just because God wanted to say, watch this. I want to tell you, He can do that with your life. He may not do it in that quantity. My grandmother did not have the gift of evangelism, but she had the gift of being a grandmother. And she may not have had the gift of being a great wife. I don't know. I never got to interview my grandfather. They were married 50-some years, so she may not have been, must not have been too bad. But her children didn't turn out the way she wanted. Both of her children were alcoholics. She must have felt like a, like a, a failure as a mother. But I tell you what, when this little ornery kid came along, this little burr-headed, ugly, freckled-headed kid, and she said, oh, Lord, he's mine. And she grandmothered me right into the kingdom. And I'm just as much a part of the kingdom that everybody, as anybody who ever went to a Billy Graham crusade. Her audience was one, but she was faithful to the one. And what was arranged for me in heaven got delivered to me by a faithful grandmother. 
Do what's in front of you and watch heaven get changed. Watch what has been laid out from the beginning of time become established on this earth. And heaven is added to, added to as we can see it. Now, a word to the caution here. You need to be a little bit careful about overextending yourself. When I say don't just operate in your area, you know, there are other things that you can do. Please do that. Please also realize that as strong as you are in ministry, you need to draw some boundaries just so that you'll have some physical recovery time. Some of the strongest ministries are also some of the people that need the most ministry. Do you know that the United States, this won't surprise you, is the number one missionary nation, missionary sending nation in the world? Missionary sending nation. I thought I could say it. But what you probably don't know is that the United States is the number two missionary receiving nation. 20,000 missionaries come from other countries to spread the gospel in this country. And it is appropriate. We need them. I say double the team. We can use them. But that's to say that even the strongest needs ministry. So even as you operate, you'll also need the ministry. But the message for you today is to begin to think in your mind that has just thought of yourself as the average church girl, the average Christian, you know, just trying my best to live a good life. I tell you what, you have a volcano living in you. The Holy Spirit is resident in your life. And He wants to see the world change because you lived. Pray with me. God, I know that anything that happens today is because you've done it. All of us can agree to that. And so even as we pray this, Lord, we want your spirit to have the freedom to move about this sanctuary. We would like for anybody here who has been living life on their own, they may intellectually believe in God, but they've never invited you into their life. But they want to. They want to make an eternal difference in this world, and they feel that tug on their heart. They want to be forgiven of their sins, and they realize there's no price they can pay for that. And so they must accept just your grace, won by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And they're ready to pray with me. God, I do accept the gift of salvation through faith. I don't know why you did it, but I'm glad you did, and I want it in my life. Jesus, come and live in my heart. Make of my life whatever you want. And for the rest of us, God, who have already prayed that prayer, we would pray this one. Get us out of this mentality that we're just to live like good people for the rest of our lives. Help us to understand how you want us to be vessels of the Holy Spirit. How what we say on this earth really matters in heaven. How what we say on this earth carries with it the link to what you have planned from eternity. Help us to continually speak the things of God so that it may be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.